All right. Um, do any of you guys watch Bondi Rescue? Yes, yes. Do you guys... Nah? Nah, do you guys enjoy watching Bondi Rescue? Nah. I do, but the thing I find is, most of the time, to me, it seems like the guys getting saved don't really need it. Is that just me? Half the time I'm watching it and um, they're pulling some poor fella out of the water in knee, like, was knee deep water or something like that. There was no waves. Um, he was in the flags. Like There were people just standing around watching him just going, mate, like, <laughs> just stand up. And there's lifesavers like, pulling him out and dragging him into shore. Um, I feel like that's what happens all the time. And I, I like lifesavers for what they do, you know, saving lives and all. Um, and, and I appreciate them. And I would like to be like them in a sense. I would like to think that in a situation where someone was drowning, that I'd know what to do. I'd like to think that I could jump in the water, save someone, be a hero, whatever, all that sort of stuff. But my fear is that I'd be the guy that would watch them drown and like I'd keep going, oh, I think they'd be all right. I think they're swimming. They look like, oh, no, nah. like still got my clothes on. Just a bit hesitant to to jump in, just in case. My fear is this, I'll jump in, I'll swim out to them and they'll do that thing where they just sort of stand up and they're like, dude, I was just swimming, what are you doing? Like, I'm fine, I'm clearly okay. Um, I think it's because I had something similar happen to me when I was like 16, like not that young. I was 16, I was in Terrigal swimming around. It was flat as a tack. I was just outside the flags maybe. Um, definitely still could stand on the bottom. I'm quite tall. I had some like 12-year-old girl on a nipper board just like powering out to me <laughs> and like, like, mate, it's dangerous rip here. And I'm like, I'm just looking at her going, really? <laughs> She's like, it's dangerous. Don't think that you're better than the ocean or something. And I was, and I didn't know what to do. Like I just sort of, because I feel, I don't know, I, <laughs> I like to think that I can swim okay and it was just bizarre. Like I, I felt like I could have saved her if it came to it, you know. Like, <laughs> so I've had this like, yeah, this fear that I would, like, out of shame or like, or fear of shame, not save someone when they were clearly about to die, just in case that they were sweet. But I think that if it were the case that it was clear as mud, no, that's bad. That's the opposite of what I want. If it was clear as crystal, crystal clear, um, that someone was about to die, if I didn't act to save them, that I would do something. I'd like to think that I could, in that situation, act. Um, and I imagine that most people would do that as well. I mean, like, if there was a, a cliff edge and your mate was standing on that cliff edge and it was clear, clear as day, that that part of the cliff was about to crumble and fall down, um, I feel like... I would warn them, and so would everyone else, to get off that cliff edge. Um, you, you wouldn't, you'd be crazy, it'd be insane to let them just go on doing what they're doing when you know perfectly well what's about to happen, even though they might. Um, now, I want to tell you guys this as part of what we're looking at tonight. Um, I think what we pick up in this passage is part of the reality that mankind is living in. Um, and what I want to show you guys tonight is that given that reality, it would be crazy, insane, 
not to make people aware of this reality or not to be aware of this reality. Um, yeah, so we'll get into it, we'll have a look um, and see if that makes sense later on. Um, so we'll get into the passage, chapter 10, just a bit of context before we start walking through it. Um, this passage that we just looked at then comes after we've got um, Jesus in the chapter before setting resolutely for Jerusalem. I don't know if you guys remember, um, we looked at that earlier, but Jesus, just before this, has set out resolutely for Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where he is going to die for the sins of the world. That's the place where he is intentionally set out, intentionally going off to die for all of us, die for our sins. Um, and so we see just before, yeah, he's gone, boom, Jerusalem, that's where I'm heading, that's where he set his sights, um, he's ready to go. He also has appointed 12 disciples um, and he's given them power and authority to do awesome miracles and crazy things, healing the sick, um, he's given authority over demons and he's commanded them to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to everyone around. Um, so that's kind of the scene that this passage pops up in. So Jesus is just about to set out to Jerusalem and what he does is he appoints 72 others um, and sends them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. Um, now, it seems a bit weird, this little section... Um, we'll run through it. I don't know if I'll help you make it make sense of it, but we'll see what we can do. Um, so he sends them out and he says to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Um, We've got this like bizarre instruction where Jesus has gone to these 72 blokes and he's gone, or I don't know, and he's gone, you guys, go out, go ahead of me, two by two, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Um, it's kind of, I don't know how much you guys know about harvest, um, but it seems what he's saying is, I've got this, this thing that I want you guys to like bring into me. I don't know if that makes any sense to you now, but uh, like in the farmlands, okay, they're out there and what they do is they make a harvest, okay, and you have to go and get the harvest. So basically they'll plant heaps of stuff, they'll grow up and they'll get it. That's the harvest. So Jesus is saying, look, there's people out there, I want you to go, go out to them and I want you, and he goes on with instruction, when you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, um, sorry. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town, you are welcomed. Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near to you. But when you enter a town and are not, not welcomed, go into its streets and say. Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. Um, it's a, all a bit unusual, but what we get is this picture of this um, crazy urgent mission that Jesus is sending these people on. Um, 
so urgent that they're not to carry anything with them or meet anyone on the way that he goes straight out to these houses and these towns um, and they're to heal the sick, they're to um, preach wherever they go um, that the kingdom of God is near. Um, Now, I guess the question then is, what are we to do with all this? What are we to do with this weird event of Jesus sending out 72 guys, 72 random guys out into each town, um, healing sick, casting out demons, all that sort of stuff. Um, And I want to say not a whole lot. Um, What I want to focus on tonight, we will come back to it, what I want to focus on tonight is the message that they're bringing and what that means for us. Um, Now if you look, if you remember... The message that they're commanded to give, regardless of the reception that they're receiving, is that the kingdom of God has come near. So wherever they go, no matter how, if the people like them, they take them in or they kick them out, they're to preach to them that the kingdom of God is near. And so the question is, what does that mean and why is it so important for them to be going out ahead of Jesus and telling everyone this. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at a bit tonight. You may, Hopefully you've had a look at a new G-team. If you weren't at G-teams, get to them next week. Um, so the kingdom of God, what does it mean? We can learn a little bit about it from this passage. And I think that this passage tells us two things about the kingdom of God. The first thing is that the day of the kingdom of God is marked by judgment. And the second thing is it is wrapped up intimately in what Jesus is doing. I'll try to show you those two things. Um, You see an example where Jesus goes, if if the people don't receive you, you are to do this. We start like at verse 11. Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet will wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So the, the go is that they're, they're telling people that the kingdom of God is near. For the towns that reject that message, Jesus is saying is that it will be more bearable on the day of the kingdom of God than it will be for Sodom. Now, for those that don't know anything about Sodom or haven't heard that word before, Sodom was a town or a place back in the day that got smashed by God got judged massively, Um, they were a wicked, sinful place and God smashed them, basically. And what we're having here is that on the day of the kingdom of God, um, it will be more bearable for Sodom than it will be for the town that rejects that message. Um, So we can see that the day of the kingdom of God is marked by crazy judgment Um, and it's not good for those that reject the message. And the second thing is wrapped up intensely in what Jesus is doing. So Jesus has turned and marched out resolutely for Jerusalem. That's the place where he's about to die. This path of his, on the way he's getting people to go out before him and tell people that the kingdom of God is near. So we know that the kingdom of God being near has a whole lot to do with what Jesus is about to do. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, 
So the kingdom of God, just to give you a bit of a background, I suppose you can summarise the idea of the kingdom of God like this. Now, it might not make sense at first, but I'll try to come back and explain it as we go. Um, Three things. You've got God's people, God's place, under God's rule and blessing. Now, we get a picture of the kingdom of God in a place like the Garden of Eden. What you've got there is God's people, Adam and Eve, living in God's place, Garden of Eden, under his rule and under his blessing. That's the way that God intended it to be like, and it was awesome. Um, it, was, it was great, it was good. Um, you've got God's people there living in a close and intimate relationship with God, um, receiving his blessings, all, all these good things. Um, now, if you remember anything about that situational story, what happened was that we stuffed up. Um, we were living in that perfect order that God set up, but then we stuffed up. And what that meant was that we could no longer live in God's place, under God's rule, because we had said to God, stuff you, I don't want to have a bar of that, I don't want to be in there. Um, and so what that means is that instead of living in that kingdom with God, we are facing God's anger. Um, and that's sort of the tone, that's sort of set the tone for the rest of history. That's the position that as humans we are in. Now, I want to take you to a passage in 2 Samuel. Um, you can turn there with me if you'd like. It's a good one. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's go verse 11-ish. Um, just a bit of context. This is God giving a promise to David, who was an old school king, um, important character in the Bible. Um, and we'll see why in a second. So this is God giving a promise to David among a few others. So we'll pick it up halfway through verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, we've got this promise way, way back in the day from God saying, I will, in the future, through this this line of David, I will, in the future, set up, re-establish my kingdom. Um, and it will last forever. So the expectation that we get through the whole Bible is this huge rescue plan, if you will, to bring back God's people back under his rule, back into this kingdom. So we had it set up at the beginning, we stuffed it up, and for the rest of the Bible we can see God trying to unfold this plan to bring us back into this rule, into his place, where we can enjoy an intimate relationship with him. Um, Then what you get, Jesus in Luke, rocking up on the scene and saying, the kingdom of God is near. Now, 
what that's supposed to do with that understanding, the understanding of all that history that's behind, all that expectation that these people had, because they were waiting, they knew about that promise, and so they're waiting for a guy to rock up and establish this kingdom. They're waiting for it all to be restored. And when you've got Jesus rocking up and saying, the kingdom of God is near, it's really meant to, I don't know, hit you pretty hard. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience when you hear a joke and you think it's funny and you're laughing, but then you realise that you didn't get it, but then someone explains to you and it's even funnier than what you first thought. I get it all the time. I'll just like, someone will say a joke, and that sounds kind of funny, and, and then laugh, and then and I'll be like, no, it's like this, and you're like, oh, and that's even funnier. Okay? Now, the kingdom of God isn't funny, but here's the point. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, you might have some sort of general idea or gist about Jesus and stuff and what he's coming to do and he's doing something big and monumental. But when you understand the weight and the expectation of history that comes with it, it makes that claim that the kingdom of God is near so much bigger. And so what he is claiming is that the weight, his massive weight is over um, and that God's king has arrived to establish his kingdom. Um, and he aims to do that by dying and rising again on the cross. That's why he's set resolutely out to Jerusalem. That's why he's getting these people to go ahead of him and say these things as he's going. Because it is by his death that Jesus deals with the problem of sin, deals with our rejection of God and God's anger at us, and he makes it possible for us to come back in a relationship with the Father. And the resurrection, when Jesus rose back from the dead, proved the success of what Jesus set out to do and basically is announcing that there is hope still for the world, that those who trust in Christ can look forward to having eternal life in this kingdom that God's setting up. Um, And so the question is, When is this kingdom of God done? When is it complete? If it's near, when is it done? Well, I want to say that it's only partially done on the cross. On the cross, what happened was that Jesus made a way for us to experience part of this kingdom, but not completely. Jesus promised in the Bible and is set to return again, and with that, he's bringing this completion of the kingdom of God. What this means is that all those who call God their king will then live under his rule in his place and they'll enjoy his blessing. They'll enjoy intimate relationship with God um, and it's awesome. However, for those who reject this word, and we get a picture of it in these verses here, for those who reject this word don't get to experience this awesome gift at all and instead God's anger remains on them. Um, So what Jesus was doing on the cross was providing a way for people to get back into this relationship with God and be a part of this kingdom that he's set to establish. Um, And so as Jesus is rolling around and getting people to preach that the kingdom of God is near, um, he's not just saying that as like an obscure fact that people should know about. 
but rather he's saying it as something that requires a reaction, that requires repentance. Because like I've just said, the kingdom of God means salvation for those who trust in him, but judgment for those who refuse to come under it. So the kingdom of God is near, but it's not there yet. The day of judgment is the day that the kingdom of the Lord will be perfected. So what's the state of the kingdom of God right now? If it was near then, what's it doing right now? Well, I want to say because Jesus hasn't returned yet, that means that it's still near. It's still coming. And because it hasn't come yet, what that means is there are still people that need to hear that God is their king. There are still people who, if they don't know Jesus and what he's done for them, are living under God's righteous anger. Um, So we know that this mission that Jesus sent those 72 blokes on, in a sense, isn't completed. What we do won't take quite the same shape as what they did um, because we don't have Jesus with us. We don't live in Jerusalem and he wasn't sending us out in front of him to houses and stuff. Um, But what we do know is that the kingdom of God isn't here yet. It's not perfected, completed. And that Jesus is still yet to come and bring that day of judgment. Um, So what that means is, as I was saying right at the start, what that means is that the, the nature of the reality that we live in is that Jesus is set to return. And with his return, he's going to judge those who reject him and those that call on him will be a part of his kingdom. And I don't know about you, but given that reality, what that says to me is that I need to tell people about this kingdom. I need to tell people that God is their king. I need to tell people that Jesus has made it possible for them to come back into a relationship with God because if they don't know that, they're still under God's righteous anger. And I don't think it's a heaps good place to be. It would be crazy, just like a, that your mate on the cliff that you can see it's obviously about to fall. It would just be insane for us not to go around telling everyone that this day is... We know that this day is coming. You trust in the Bible, we know that this day is coming. And for those that don't have their trust in Jesus, it means righteous judgment on them. Um, And so, just like the 72 here, the harvest is still there and we've got a job to do. We need to be going out, telling our mates at school, work, sport, whatever, um, that Jesus is their king, they need to turn back to him and know him um, so that they can live in his kingdom forever. Uh, yeah. So how about I pray for that? Our Lord God, I thank you so much that you are king. Um, I thank you so much that you sent your son to make it possible for us to come back in a relationship with him, Lord. I pray that um, we would be intentional about uh, telling our mates that news, Lord, um, and that we would want to see them come to know you 
so they can spend eternity living in your kingdom, Lord. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.